effect in our hearts, that we might be changed thereby. We pray that thy people would be encouraged and built up, that we would see again the wonders of thy gospel, the goodness of God. May we see our responsibility going forward. And Lord, we do pray for the one who may not know thee. Lord, may their heart be quickened, we pray. Do be with us all now as we enter in. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, in verse 6, it says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Now as we come to this epistle, this pastoral epistle to Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, as he's often referred to, We cannot help but understand and see the great love that he has for Timothy. There is a great burden that as Paul is coming to the end of his life, the end of his ministry, that he is passing on that gospel torch unto him. And there is a great charge and a great weight of responsibility that lays before Timothy. And we see the the fatherly love that he has for him. He's so careful to teach him and to warn him of the things that he may have to face in his coming years, ministering unto the people. And it's with an understanding we must see these verses. It is with the knowledge of Paul's situation. We understand that Paul is far away from those whom he loves. He has such a desire to see those in the church. We're reminded that he was mindful of Timothy's tears when they last parted ways. obviously a very emotional time. We know that Paul was abandoned by those who served with him, Phygelus and Hermogenes and others. They could not stand up to the task of proclaiming the gospel. And they bent the knee to the pressures of this world. And they they thought those riches of the world were more worthy than to take the reproach of Christ. He was bound in a Roman prison. And he was facing death. He was about to face the greatest world power of the day and to stand before Nero and proclaim his faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, considering this position that we find Paul in, what is his attitude? There is no anger that is found within him, no distress, no anxiety. He is not discontent with the lot that God has given unto him. But Paul is the epitome of calm, of humility, of diligence and care for his son in the faith, Timothy. And it's a remarkable thing. And all of Paul's ministry, from the moment that he was saved on that Damascus road, all the times that he he, he argued and reasoned in the synagogues, as he went to the marketplaces and, and proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles, when he wrestled with his church, the miracles, the writings, the evangelizing, the preaching, all of these things, they were confirmed by this attitude at the end of his life, that all these things were not in vain, but they were for a great purpose. And as he is passing this torch unto Timothy, there is such a testimony, there is such an understanding there of what it's all been about. And how has he been able to do this? How is he able to await this time of being offered up 
with such joy and patience. And well, it comes there in those verses in chapter 4. He has a full assurance of his faith. There is not a doubt in his mind as he is to enter the veil of death that he is to be immediately taken to glory. That there is a crown of righteousness awaiting for him. That he will meet Christ his Savior and embrace him as a brother. And that he will gladly take this crown of righteousness and cast it at his feet. For that's all his desire is. There's not a doubt in his mind. He's fully assured that he is a child of God. And no wonder it says, he says there, doesn't he? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You can't no, you no longer take anything from me, for I know whom I have believed. And I know that there is a crown of righteousness waiting for me. He had full assurance of faith. Through the scriptures, we find that Paul's heart, it burned for his people of Israel. He was one who said, I wish that I myself were accursed, that they might find salvation. And what an incredible heart and one that I don't have, I know, and must pray for. That he himself would be accursed, that his, his own kin would be saved. It burned for his nation. His heart wrestled with the Gentiles. It longed for the church, that they would be pure, that they would be honorable to God. His heart cared for Timothy, and his heart broke for the unsaved. It was his bread and drink to reach the unsaved. But his eyes, they were continually on that heavenly country. He understood that he was just a pilgrim passing through. He longed for that country, that heavenly country, where he would one day reside. And he was fully convinced. His body, it was beaten, it was scourged, it was stoned, it was drowned. But yet his mind was always on that heavenly crown that he would receive one day. And for us today, as those who know and love the Lord, we must be assured of our faith. Assurance of faith is something that we must continue to pursue. It will help us. It is the very driving force behind our, our courage and our zeal for the Lord to have this full assurance. So what is it? Technically, what does it mean to have assurance? Well, a little definition here. It's the conviction that you as a Christian belong to Jesus Christ through faith and will enjoy everlasting salvation through him. It's to have the benefits of grace personally enjoyed. Personally enjoyed. It's not just to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's to believe that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have that surety. To know that you've been graciously saved. To know that you are loved by God and sanctified. And that you are going through that process of regener that process of sanctification. Because you see, it is possible to be a Christian without this full assurance. And I'd be surprised if, if any of us here have never doubted that there haven't been seasons of doubt in our lives where we have acted in a certain way and thought, well, surely would a, would a child of God do that? Have I truly been saved? And in the scriptures we find even John the Baptist. He was a man that experienced doubt in his darkest hour as he was in the cell of Herod. And he sent his disciples to Christ and he said, Thou art the one to come, or do we look for another? And Christ, so lovingly, he looks to the people that are listening. And he says, You know, John the Baptist, did you go out to see a reed shaken with the wind? No. 
He was a firm, believing Christian and one of the greatest, he says, the greatest prophet. And yet he had a season of doubt. And so we must pursue assurance today. If we are to truly live the Christian life, we must pursue assurance. For without it, we will be drastically crippled. And there are many people today who gather into the church who say, well, I can't have assurance unless... I see fruit in my life. Unless I see spiritual fruit in my life. The Bible also teaches us that we must be assured before we bring forth fruit. We will be awfully stifled, incredibly crippled in our Christian walk if we lack in this full assurance of faith. And I wonder, is this an argument that we bring to the table today? Have we refused Christ because we do not know if we can have assurance of the salvation of God? commands us that we are to pursue this assurance. Let it never be an excuse. May may we never lead, lead the charge to God that he has not given us enough evidence of his grace and of his mercy. But we pursue these things. So what problems do we face in the church today with assurance? Well, of course, we find today that there's a problem of easy believism. We find that there are great emotional services that take place. And there's lots of music and lots of emotion. And many people know or they feel that they have to come to Christ because they're whipped up in an emotional frenzy. And they they have a sentimental emotion towards Jesus Christ. But yet there's a lack of conviction, a lack of transformation. There's no spiritual fruit found in them. And many of us recognize that. And so we, we swing the other way. And then there's, we enter into a realm of hard believism, where there's not enough evidence to be assured of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And we seek after uh, unrealistic evidences of God's work in our life. And we become ourselves a stumbling block to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And with both, there's fear. There's a fear. There's no peace in salvation when we enter into those times. We can say, well, was. Was my conversion, what was that time just an emotional frenzy? Was it genuine? Or as we go on the other end, we say, what if I never received an obvious sign that God loves me? So we must be careful. This is not the spirit that God has given us. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, it says there in chapter 1, verse 7 of 2 Timothy. And so I want to look at the call to assurance this morning. In verse 3, I'm going to read a few verses again of chapter 1. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. To Paul's delight, he could write about Timothy that he was a man who had great assurance of his faith. He was known for his faith. And it seemed to be a family trait. It was in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And a wonderful lesson, small side lesson there, the influence that a woman can have on her children and on her children's children. And Timothy was known for his unfeigned faith. But Paul is talking to Timothy and he's saying, but don't let it stop there. This gift that God has given to you, you must now stir it up, he says there. 
Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, thou stir up the gift of God. In the original uh, language, it speaks much of fanning an ember into a flame. And so my friends, if our assurance is like a, a small burning ember today, then we must fan that into a flame. Then it would burn ever brighter in our lives. It would be part a great part of our testimony this evening and as we go forward, that we would be diligent in stirring the assurance of faith that God has gifted to us. Stir it up. And, he's, and Paul's saying here to Timothy, this is the only reason how I have managed to be consistent in my ministry. This is the only way that I have been able to endure the afflictions that have come with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that now I've been able, even on the very evening, to say those gracious words of him. And how many times have we seen ministries that have cast a great shadow over an individual because they fell at the last hurdle. Because there was a great damage done right in the evening of, of their lives. But we must be consistent in our walk with the Lord. Because why? Why, why does Paul say this to Timothy? Verse 7. For he hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What is our spirit today? Are we a fearful Christian? Do we fear speaking about Jesus Christ? Of his, of his sacrifice? Of his person? Are we fearful to hold on to the scriptures? And to proclaim them as truth? To know that they cannot be contradicted? To know that these words are pure, infallible? That they are sufficient for us? That everything that we need is found in these words? Are we fearful with that? Are we fearful of the world? Of death? Are we fearful of persecution that is coming? Are we fearful of the state of the church? Or maybe you're fearful of your own salvation. You're not sure. This is not the Spirit of God, but of power. Do we have courage and resolution in the Scriptures, in Jesus Christ? Do we have a boldness and a confidence in Him? We know that Paul understood this power as he preached the words and... and Men and women were giving their lives unto the Saviour. He had such a boldness, a confidence in that. Do we have a love? A love for God? A love for His Word? Can we not wait to get into the closet and pray to God and read His Scriptures and see more of His heart revealed unto us? Do we have a love for His people? Love coming to church and sharing that wonderful time together do we have a love in hardship? A love for God during trials and tribulations? You see, love does a wonderful work in our hearts. We remember when, when Jacob went and worked for Rachel. He loved her so much that seven years seemed like a few days. My friends, when we have this spirit of love, these trials, they will pass us by. And do we have a spirit of a sound mind, being disciplined, being knowledgeable, being renewed, continued by the Scriptures, understanding the gospel rather than being led by emotion. Is this us today? Because if it is, if we possess this, it says there in verse 8, we won't be ashamed. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, of his prisoner. We won't be ashamed of Christ. We won't be ashamed of his people, of his church. We won't be ashamed of the afflictions that come, and Paul knew all too well of this. He states there, isn't he, right at the beginning of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it's the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, the Jew and the Greek. He understood it firsthand in his own testament and sin the power sweeping 
in that day of the apostles? Are we those who are not ashamed? Do we deny ourselves? Do we take up our cross? And do we follow Christ in our lives? So how, how do we find assurance? Where, where do we run to? Paul's saying, we stir this up, so what now? And so Paul reminds Timothy of the covenant that he's under. In verse 9 it says this, Who have saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Timothy reminds, Paul reminds Timothy of the covenant that he's under. Remember, Timothy, what Christ has done for you. Remember the gospel. It's so foundational in your walk with the Lord, in your evangelism, in your preaching. Remember the gospel and search those unsearchable riches in Christ continually. And this is why we must get the gospel right today. There's not some wishy-washy invite Christ into your heart, but it's the work of God in the hearts and souls of sinners like you and I. It is His work. And the gospel is, it is concreted in security. And that is why it is such a precious thing to us. And that is why it must be the work of God and not of ourselves. For it is, if it is God's work accomplishing His will in our lives, then there is no fear in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no worry in the gospel that we might be lost somehow. The gospel is built upon security. There are no errors, there are no misjudgments, no loopholes, no scandals to be found. It is God's righteousness and wrath satisfied by God's grace and his mercy. And my friends, will God cheat himself? No. And if we come under that covenant of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have full assurance of faith because it's of him and not of us. And so as Paul, I love it how every opportunity Paul gets to write about the gospel, he can't help himself, but expound it a little bit. He said to him, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus, Christ Jesus before the world began. And we're reminded of those wonderful words in Romans, that golden chain that many of us have heard of before. Romans 8, if you'd like to turn there with me, beginning in verse 29. We're reminded it's more of an expanded version of what Paul has just spoken to Timothy. This is how we can have assurance in the gospel, in its security. Verse 29 of Romans 8, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also called, he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And there we find the sequence of events. How God has brought to pass the great salvation that was wrought by Jesus Christ. We understand that there was first a foreknowing, a foreknowledge. That God, before he even spoke light into existence, his children in Christ were known to him. They were beloved in his heart. That work was to take place for these individuals. And so they were predestined. That they, These individuals in the heart of God, they were not there for no reason, but there was a purpose and a plan for them. That there was a destination that they would someday reach, and that was to be glorified. It was for a purpose. 
was to come to fruition. And many people have this, this aversion to the idea of predestination. My friends, if God has predestined us to salvation, it's the most comforting thing to us. But number three, the calling we find. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. Verse, verse 30. In the process of time, those who were in the heart of God before the foundation of the world, those whom he predestined unto a purpose of glorification, that during their lives, in the process of time, they will receive the call of God. Their circumstances will be thus, that they hear the gospel message, that their hearts will be warmed, that they would feel conviction of their sin and they will flee to Christ because they know that there's no other way that they must be saved. And they hearken the gospel call, the calling. And from this calling, they are justified. The response to the call of those who are beloved they will cry out for salvation in Jesus Christ, placing their, their faith in Him, in His sacrifice. And in that moment, they are declared righteous before God, justified. And then those who are justified, there they will be also glorified. That there will be a time when Christ, when He returns or we meet with Him, that we will share that eternal glory with Him and enjoy that kingdom in which He has and will establish and so we know that these, these this, the mechanics of salvation so intertwined, so concrete, that those who were known in the heart of God, foreknown, that they will one day be glorified. And many may say, well, that's all well and good. That sounds secure. That sounds lovely. But what if I don't know if I'm in the foreknowledge of God? What if I'm not predestined? And my friends, we can't enter into the hidden will of God. But we find ourselves in this chain. And where do we find ourselves? Can we know if we are foreknown? Can we know if we're predestined? Maybe not. But can we know if we're called? Can we know if we're called? Yes, my friends. If you hear the gospel, if your heart is warmed by the message of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, if you have conviction of sin, that you know you need to cry out to him for salvation, then that is the fruit of those who are foreknown, those who are predestined. And we understand that they will be the ones who will then go on to glorification. So do we know our calling? Have we received the call of God? When we hear the gospel, has it taken root? Has it changed us? Predestination is the greatest doctrine for assurance. And yet somehow it has become the reason for doubt in many. I know I need to be saved, but what if I'm not elect? But no. Salvation that God has prescribed is concrete. And it's no wonder that, that after Paul has described these things, he spends the rest of the chapter rejoicing. What an amazing thing that I who have been called, I've received the gospel call, I know that I'll be glorified one day. And so he says, what shall we say then to these things? God before us, who can be against us? And he goes on and on about the love of God because of this security in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Full assurance found in his salvation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. He goes on to say no. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The salvation of God, the greatest cause of our assurance of faith. And of course these things reiterated and spoken of by Christ in his prayer of intercession. 
Christ, Christ is praying for his children. That those whom thou hast given to me, they have hearkened unto thy words. And they will be kept, he says. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we make our election known. And my friends, no one places their faith in Christ without the foreknowledge of God. There are no surprises to him. It's an error oftentimes when we think of our conversion. Well, do I look to an event? Do I look for a time in my life when I know that God saved me? And for the large part, many people don't have great Damascus Road experiences. But has that calling in your life been manifest? Is there fruit in your life? My own personal conversion, I don't have a clue when the Lord saved me. But I have a love for his word, a love for Christ, a love for his people. And that's a greater assurance than any day. My friends, we can have assurance in this way. Confirmation through Jesus Christ. Let's go on in our text. So um, Paul has spoken to Timothy. Stir up this gift of assurance. Look to the gospel. And now what do we do? Verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The confirmation of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Understanding the mechanics We say, yes, that's all very well and good. I can see how that works out. But these things could not occur unless Christ had manifest himself, unless he had humbled himself, lived a life of complete obedience unto God the Father. Because if he had not drunken that cup of wrath unto that last drop, that chain is broken and there is no assurance. So we must know the mechanics of salvation, but in a greater way, we must know the person of Jesus Christ. We must know him. And this was always the desire of Paul, that I may know Christ and know him crucified. It was always his desire. Christ, his life, death and resurrection. It was the visible marker and that eternal plan. If Christ had failed, that golden chain is broken. And our assurance wanes so often times when we have not considered Christ. We have not considered who he is and what he has done. And if there's any doubt to the person of Christ, it unravels the whole work of salvation. And it's no wonder that that Satan so desires that the person of Christ, that he be made ashamed, that he'd be despised in this world, he'd be made a fool of. Because without him, then there is no salvation. And that is why on the eve of Paul's life, he can say this, For those which cause I suffer these things, in verse 12, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Not to know him, not to know about Christ, but to know him intimately, walking with him, speaking with him, closer than a brother. Because Paul understood the greater we know Christ, the greater that seal is placed upon his salvation. And so how do we know about Christ? How do we know of Christ? Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and in love which is in Christ Jesus. So we stir up assurance of faith. We do that by looking at the security of the gospel. The gospel is confirmed by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And how do we know of Jesus Christ? We hold fast sound words. How much of our lives are filled with unsound words. The garbage we hear on a daily basis. My friends, there is a call, there is a plea, there is a command, I should say, that we hold fast sound words. 
that we would be students of the word, that we might know Christ better. We don't have the privilege of being a disciple of Christ and his earthly ministry, but we have a greater evidence, the apostle says. We have the scriptures. We know more of his character, more of his doings, more of his power than those who, who, who saw him and touched him. What an incredible thought that we would know these things through the filling of our minds, holding fast to sound words. How often do we ponder the Lord's messages throughout the week, thinking about how they apply to our daily lives? How often do we think about our time of devotion throughout the day? How often do we think about sharing the gospel? What opportunity can I have this week to speak of Christ? What can I think of the loveliness of Christ? How can I love him more throughout our day-to-day walks? I know nothing but Christ crucified. This was the plea of Paul. And he knew that that came through the scriptures, through the gospel that he had given to Timothy. Romans 12 and verse 2, he says, Be not conformed to this world, this is Paul again, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we hold fast uh, the sound words of the gospel and of the scriptures, there will be this transformation. We'll no longer be conformed to this world, but we will be completely changed by this word in which God has given to us. And the, and the word there for, for transformed, it's metamorpho. And you may know of the word metamorphosis through thinking about a caterpillar and a butterfly. And it's an incredible process that takes place that as a caterpillar enters into that cocoon, that that caterpillar is pretty much completely destroyed and a new creature is created. Butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings. We won't be able to fly. So when we are entering into the Word, we go through this transformation where the old man, the old self, the old creature is dissolved, it's destroyed, and we are made something new. We are made a new creation in Him through these sound words. And we can even go back to that old creature even if we wanted to. And that new, create, new creature has such assurance of faith, has such a confidence in Him, because it is so evident of the fruit and the work of the Holy Spirit abiding in them and working in them. My friends, we must hearken the call to stir up this gift of God, this assurance of faith, And my friends, if you struggle with this, look to the gospel. See its security. But don't just take that word for it. Look at Christ himself. Look at who he is and what he has done. See how he has fulfilled all the scriptures. He has brought to pass all that was expected of him. And look at sound words. Hold fast to the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. He says there, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And we too can have that understanding that if we are in the evening of our lives, we can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that I will receive in that day. But I love, he says, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. My friends, will you love his appearing? Because you shall receive that crown of righteousness. May the Lord help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank You for the great confidence that we have in Thy work of salvation. Lord, in the great mechanics which Thou hast told us of, the heart of God, the work of Christ, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit within us. And Lord, we do pray for the one who may be struggling 
not knowing their position in Christ, may they have that full assurance that thou desires for them, Lord, that they would hold fast these sound words that have been spoken, that have been given unto us. And Lord, we do pray for, for those of us who, who feel, Lord, the ebb and flow of our faith. Lord, may we increase in knowledge and understanding, and Lord, in a closer walk with thee. And Lord, we do pray for the one who does not know. Lord, we pray that they might hearken unto these words, they would hold fast the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Lord, that they might have that effectual calling taking place in their hearts, that they might know of their sin, that they might know their need of Christ, that they might be justified one day and glorified with him. Lord, we do thank thee, do bless us, Lord, we pray as we go on, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let us sing our final hymn this evening, hymn number 581. 581. Hopefully these are familiar words to you. (laughs) I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known, nor why, unworthy as I am, am, he claimed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 581.
Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity.